This is Behind the Cut with Christopher Grenland, the companion show to Not About Lumberjacks. There's a line in Robin Sloan's Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore that I love. There is no immortality that is not built on friendship and work done with care. As much as I love holing up alone in writing, I started out writing independent comic books. Collaboration was the norm for me at the time, but it's not something I do much anymore. And because of that, in my head, I had a deal with myself. I'd not only write all episodes of Not About Lumberjacks, but I'd also narrate them. I kind of broke that rule, though, when it came to stories with the female lead. I decided to let my wife narrate those episodes, and we're all the better for it. Trust me. I can make a Monty Python exaggerated female voice sound feminine. And then along came Michael Howie of the Defender Radio podcast. Michael and I became friends through podcasting and some similarities we have. One day, Michael asked if I'd ever consider letting him narrate a story for Not About Lumberjacks. Michael's requests couldn't have come at a better time. I'd been knocking around ideas for the hide-behind, and while it's an American legend, I wanted to set the story in Canada. Not only that, I wanted the main character to be an Ontarian working with French Canadians. And it just so happens that Michael Howie is born and bred in Ontario. With that in mind, the story came together in a much different way, and I'm incredibly pleased with the results. I could talk about them more, but I figured it would be better if I just got on the phone and chatted with Michael instead. So, to that point, here is Michael Howie, the person who narrated the hide behind. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, Michael, and how we got to know each other? Sure. So I host and produce Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, uh, which is part of my job with the Fur Bears, a nonprofit here in Canada. My background is journalism. I was in print media for over 10 years before sort of making that switch over to nonprofits and started podcasting as part of that. Uh, and you and I, we started chatting on the podcast community, or no, the podcast movement community forum. And I th- I've met a lot of people doing that, but you and I, have, we've really connected and we've chatted a lot. And uh, it, it was an interesting sort of way of coming together, I think. And it's almost sort of when you think about what the internet was in the 90s or pre-internet with bolts and board systems. And you kind of connect oh, yeah. with people just on ideas as opposed to who you are or something. Yeah, really, I think it's that we both have, you know, awesome beards. And that's, that's how yeah, we pretty much. That's really it. It's podcasting and beards. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like, I looked at everybody and I was like, nah, nobody's worthy of this. And then (laughs) saw Michael and it's like, okay, I'll chat with this guy. Plus, you know, the whole animal thing. We've, we both have that going, a love for animals and, you know, so, and of course, yeah, it's a great little community. I've, I'm pretty active with it since it started in the area and I'm friends with everybody who's behind podcast movement. I think my favorite thing about that particular community is developing a friendship with you. Yeah. And it's, it's, 
like I said, it's funny because you sort of, you start chatting with a lot of different people about a lot of different things, and then you just connect with some people. And it's, like I said, to me, it's sort of when I think uh, of the internet and all it can be, it's a good example. And you, you make friends based on sort of common ideas and ideals and thoughts and conversation, uh, and just sort of blossoms from there uh, in ways that you don't expect it to. And that's surprisingly comes out of the comment threads on a lot of these, which I normally consider to be quite evil. Yeah, normally comment threads are terrible places, especially to meet people and stuff. And actually, I was just thinking about it. It's kind of funny because the two people that I met completely through podcast movement stuff are both Canadians. The other one's a Haligonian. And you know, we were chatting and then he came down for, I think it was podcast movement, maybe 2014. And I picked him up at the airport and we just hung out and had a great time. So if nothing else, podcast movement is making friends between Americans and Canadians. And when you pay for my ticket to come down, I think we'll get along really well. <laughs> i know that's since they moved away from here yeah i haven't gone to any of them and i probably should but i might go i may go to a juggling convention this summer instead of podcast movement i saw you, yeah i saw you post about that i i kind of want you to live broadcast it for me because juggling in itself is kind of just an odd hobby i would say but then that there's a convention for juggling and that you will be there all in my brain. It, I don't know. It seems like a grand adventure full of mystery and there's going to be at least one murder. I know that. Oh yeah. There's always a murder too at a juggling convention and no, and it's a group. It's the international jugglers association. They've been around since I think the forties I oh, wow. started, I found out about them like in 86 or 87. And I think it was when they were having their 40th anniversary. So Sometime after World War II, the International Jugglers Association happened, and they have an annual convention, and I think they have since then. How, how much of that do you think has to do with World War II? I have no idea. I mean, when you think about after World War II, you had motorcycle clubs starting up. You had, you know, different types of performing started kind of picking back up. So I don't – I really don't know. It would actually be – kind of interesting to see. I mean, like with the motorcycle clubs, they were all, you know, World War II veterans, yeah. but with, I just don't see a lot of people who storm the beaches at Normandy coming back to America and being like, let's learn how to juggle and start a group. Yeah. You should probably so, look into the history of that for us. I should. That could actually yeah. make for a very good, uh, uh, not about lumberjack story. The first juggler. You know, I have never written a story about a juggler, I don't believe. Okay, well, I get 10%, so yeah, you, know, you go do that. 10% of nothing. There you go. You're going to be rich. <laughs> but yeah. we should probably get on with talking about not about lumberjacks yep. and in particular the hide behind. So we had been chatting a little bit and obviously we're both into podcasting. You especially have done some different types of journalism mm -hmm. and... Actually, something I haven't done, you consider voice a bit more, I think, than I do. And your voice, and I've actually had a couple people talk about how stunning the voice work is in the hide behind. What made you just decide to come out and ask if I was, in, because that was like, 
it was kind of, I don't know if you knew, but I always kind of swore that nobody except Cynthia, my wife, would narrate anything. And that's only because I would use her for stories with a female point of view because you don't want to hear me try to do that. But (laughs) I kind of do. But did you even know at the time you asked that I was going to be the only narrator or no, did you just no. think, hey, okay. Yeah, cool. I had no, no, I had no idea. And that's, uh, I listened to some of your episodes and I really enjoyed them. And I like the format because you write short stories and you, we've talked a lot about that too. Um, and short stories are, are a fun narrative frequently. And it's always amazing to me what you can get out of a short story. And I've I've just been looking at ways to to be more involved with voice work in the last few years. You know, I my first exposure to it was actually doing just commercial voice work for the media company I was working for as a journalist, going into their little studio and recording, you know, advertisement for carpet places. And when I started doing podcasting, you know, experimenting a bit more and doing a bit of commercial work here and there still just through Fiverr and stuff. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll put it out there. If, you, if you're ever looking for another voice, let me know. You know, it'd be fun to try. And it was sort of one of those, and then I would never hear about it again thoughts. Yeah. Um, And you hit, the thing that's really kind of funny was you hit me at just the perfect time because last November was, not this previous November, November 2016 was the one year anniversary of the show. And I decided, of course, the story's co- the show's called Not About Lumberjacks. And every November, I write a story that has nothing to do with lumberjacks, even though there's lumberjacks in the story. So, I mean, it's kind of a joke, but mm-hmm. I think everybody's figured out, come November, you're going to get a lumberjack story from me every year. And I had started thinking about the hide behind because another friend had just sent me a picture of this creature called the hide behind and a link to an article. It was just kind of this thing that I think the legend, I don't know if it came out in the thirties or if that's when somebody actually documented this supposed creature called the hide behind that was an American thing. But I was like, I really want to set this in Canada because I just wanted a Canadian story and I wanted somebody from Ontario stuck in a French Canadian lumberjack village. And you, I mean, seriously, I was sitting there thinking, Oh, how can I, I don't want to sit there and do a bad accent. And in fact, I was even thinking, because I'll never hear the end of it from Michael if I'm sitting there going, yes. And I was out in a boat in a boat and doing no, you can't even do that. See, you're, you're, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. See, I would butcher it, and I was like, "God, I can't, I can't do this because he will just ridicule me, and all my other Canadian friends will ridicule me." And then you asked, and yeah. I mean, seriously, it was just like, "Well, holy shit, there we go." Then, um, yeah, okay, Michael, you you got this. I swore that I would never have somebody else narrate a story from a male point of view, but. I may start making November especially a thing where it's like, okay, Michael did a great job. I have a friend who can do a Boston accent. So Rick Coast may be doing next November's Not About Lumberjacks. So I'm really glad, obviously, that you spoke up at the time that you did. I certainly understand the sort of the the trepidation about having someone else do it. It's when you're a writer and that's, you know, whether it's sort of um, between – the two of us, we've got several types of writing under our belts, but 
for me, when I start as a journalist and you start writing and start, you know, you put a lot of time and thought into it and then have someone else edit for the first time and say, no, but you, you don't understand. You can't take anything out of this. It's all absolutely essential. Oh yeah, um, of course. Cause you're perfect. Yeah. Uh, and I, I gotta think it's similar when you ask someone else to read it for you, especially in the model you're doing. Like I'm working on a, a, a Christmas special right now for my show and the whole concept to me was always other people reading it. So in my head, as I'm writing, I have their voices. But when you're writing and expecting yourself to be the primary narrator, I just it's got to be kind of a general sort of uncomfortable feeling of saying, okay, let's see what you can do with this. Yeah, it absolutely is. And because I'm dyslexic and I don't read out loud very well. What people don't hear is the effort that goes into it. I have a very difficult time sometimes even just speaking extemporaneously because the way my mind forms thoughts, I'll start getting on something and it just shuts down for a couple seconds as all these options come and I pick one. And it's a lot like that when I'm trying to read. It's, okay, I just went down a line and I just jumped a couple lines or I start pushing stuff together. So you actually kind of helped because I could definitely see being a thing where it's always going to be a story I write. But because you kind of paved the way, I'm totally open now to people who do a very good job, who have actually done something with a certain degree of regularity. I'm open now to people actually taking that from me and I have you to thank for that. Well, I'm glad, but it was also, it was an interesting experience on my end of it for, I think almost the same reason of having you then say, well, I've never had another guy read this for me, but you know, you go ahead. It's <laughs> the pressure that sort of comes with that of, okay, so a, I want to do a good job. Uh, you know, I was actually talking about this with, with my wife, Kate, the other day is for me, podcasting, although it's part of my job is also something I really enjoy doing. So I want to do it really, really well all the time. So I give myself a lot of high standards and it's sort of adding that extra pressure to it was a very curious experience of not only do I want to make sure I do this well for the sake of doing it well for me, but you don't want to let someone down. You don't want to say, oh, well, you put your trust in me to do this for you and, you know, come across sounding like, you know, I'm from Alabama or something. <laughs> yeah, let's let's not talk about Alabama right now and <laughs> the state of politics down there. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's just because I, I'm even though Texas, Texas is a weird place because it's Texas, but it's the South. It, it claims everything. Mm -hmm. So it's like this smear across that I can't explain. It's a weird place down here. <laughs> and that's why we often joke, well, only half joke about how I should move to Canada because. Yeah. Well, I so you can just marry me and uh, become a citizen. There It'll you go. Out. Yeah. It'll all totally work out. That'll yeah. work. So. You mentioned, of course, you wanted to do a really good job. Did you have any, once I said, yeah, sure, that would be great. Did you have any apprehension or any concern about, it's like, oh, hell, he said yes. And now, <laughs> now I'm kind of on the hook for this. And I know that, you know, I mean, I obviously put quite a bit into each episode. And I'm just curious if you were nervous once I said yes. 
there was definitely nerves. It wasn't a, oh crap, he actually said yes. It was, oh crap, he said yes. How am I going to pull it off to sort of that level that I think both of us would expect? You know what? So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't not a, I don't want to do this nervous. It was, I'm excited to do this. And now I've got the opportunity. So that there were nerves, but it was sort of a positive angle of it. But that that's when we started having conversations with like, how Canadian do you want me to sound? Uh, yeah. Which was a whole different thing for me. Uh, Cause I normally spend most of my time trying not to sound Canadian. Um, yeah. And that's why I was just like, this is the best thing ever because he could just, however he wants to run with it, he's the authority on this and this is going to be absolutely beautiful. And to that, to that point, I mean, how did you go about kind of deciding how Canadian you wanted to be and how did you assume the role of the main character in the story? I think when I, when I first started reading it, my, my thought was just to read, read it the way I would read anything. At first. So there's sort of the two parts. There's the general narration, and then there is the journal entries. Um, and yeah. I, I love that format, by the way. I've read a, a few things like that. And one of my favorite books, uh, World War Z, uh, or World War Z to you Yankees. Yeah, um, to the to the Americans. Yeah, to say it wrong, it's World War Z. Yes. Um, <laughs> in that style of oral history. So it's, it's, it's all storytelling. It's a very interesting way of doing it. And... So the way I initially thought was, okay, well, I'm going to read generally just the way I would normally read something. And then during the journal entries, I'll, you know, I'll lean into the accents and as it went through and as the story kind of goes progressively, the generation of the mind of the character and allow that as well. So it was a very, I mean, I sort of, you know, I read it and then I, I sort of, I read it out loud once and then I recorded it reading out loud. And it's just, it's a very different for me than what I'm normally used to doing. Cause I, I pretty much, I read news more or less is what I normally Right. Do. There's a couple parts. And I know in the, in the file I sent you where I'd, I'd say a line and then I'd stop myself and start over and then realize I didn't need to stop myself and start over. Because if I was reading this for my show or, or for commercial stuff, most of the time I try and go with that sort of blank North American accent that a lot of Ontarians are known for. That's a lot of our newscasters and actors who can kind of drop any sound of an accent. And it's just a blank North American voice. And for me, it's as I was reading today, Oh no, I said that to Canadian uh, or I caught myself and I hear that the, the it's, it's very, very similar to a Scandinavian accent at times. The, the ooh sound come through or I, uh, I rather than a, the, you get a ta sound. So I'd catch myself doing that and stop and start the sentence again. And then remember that I'm supposed to be doing that um, <laughs> and start the sentence over again anyway. So I'd end up reading the same thing three times. The first two times by doing it right, then doing it wrong, then doing it right. But knowing I'm doing it right. I think that threw me probably more than anything else. And I was amazed at how well you read through it. And when you got to that part, it was one of the couple lines that you read two or three times and you said, sorry. And I was just like, <laughs> I just want to put that on a loop for like 20 minutes and just put it out as a podcast. <laughs> Everybody, you know, makes fun of the Canadian sorry thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's part of the reason why I like Canadian. Canada because Canadians are cool because they're they're nicer than we are down here. Oh, so, yeah, we say sorry, but we 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 don't really mean it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It's kind of like we, we just cover up how rude we are. Yeah, and if you're ever in a car with my wife, you'll 
you, you'd think she's from New York. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I think one of the more interesting things from my point of view on the whole story was I had like a lot of real life stuff kind of going on where demands at work, we were going through layoffs and I didn't have as much time to focus on writing or fiction. I had plenty of time to focus on writing as a tech writer because I was given somebody else's full-time job on top of mine. But the thing that I think was really interesting for me was no sooner than I finished the story, I read through it, gave it to Cynthia, my wife, to read. There was one little thing that she thought was a little confusing. I fixed that. I sent it to you. And I was like, so here it is. Let me know, you know, when you want to record and do all that, if you have any questions. And I mean, within an hour, you had the story back to me. Mm -hmm. And that was just phenomenal to me because I felt bad because we had the Thanksgiving holiday and certain things in the States. And I wanted to get it to you sooner. And I was even prepared if it took you a little while to get to the story. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't have to come out on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And then you just were like, yeah, I'd like to do this right now. And for me, it was really a huge rush to finish a story. And seriously, within two hours of finishing my first draft, having your first draft of the read through, it was just. It was something else. <laughs> well, and, and I it, think that part of that is the the news thing, and that's something when I do blogs and press releases and stuff uh, at work, I, I'll sometimes get that comment. But that's after so many years of being on those really tight, got to get it out deadlines. It's just sort of that's the nature. It's okay. I'm going to do this now, and then do it. And what was very very fortunate is the way you write is very easy to read. You're not writing in such a way, and uh, those of us who do podcasts will understand this because I'll, I'll do this myself is I'll write a sentence or a paragraph uh, for the introduction of my show and I'll, I'll write it and I'll read over it and say that works and I'll sit down with the microphone and I'll read it out loud and I say, that makes no sense. And then I sit yes. and I rewrite it and I say, nope, still doesn't work. And then I just have to, to, I don't even read it anymore. I just start saying what I want to say. But what I mean, reading every single line here, I think there was one line I sort of, I had to look at a, for a second or two and it was near the end and it was not the way you had written it. It was the way I was reading it. So otherwise, so otherwise like just the reading is so easy to do when it's written well. And that's, that was for me like, okay, I don't need to sit and go over this and think about it too heavily. I just read it. And then we had our conversation about how crazy do you want me to get, which was an odd conversation to have. The one thing with me It's like, okay, how crazy you can go as crazy as you want, you know, because if I'm having somebody else narrate it, I got my start writing in comic books and I can only think of one panel out of all the panels that I ever wrote where it was like, it has to be this way. Otherwise it was always, you're the artist, you know what needs Mm -hmm. to be done here better than I do. And I kind of felt that way with the story because even though obviously it's something that I had written, it's just as much yours. And by handing it to you to narrate, it was really, I was just kind of like, 
it's really up to you. I know I had confidence that regardless of what you handed back, that it was going to be good. I hoped that by the end of it, you kind of had the crazy voice and you did those three takes and I took the crazy voice. Yeah. And that was, it was fun to do, to be totally honest. Um, because it's, it's read through it once and sort of say, okay, it's a little, sorry, we're having some excitement here. That's um, fine. So it's, it's read through it once and have the, all right, it's a little menacing. It's a little weird. And then sort of progress to the point of, I don't feel comfortable sounding this way. And I think that's the one you went with. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to sort of experiment in that way. But that was the, the whole thing is sort of once I'd read the story and recognized the whole thing is this character descending into madness, so to speak. But what became more difficult was reading the narration in a normal voice and switching to the crazy voice. Because uh, I just, I, I didn't read it in different parts. I read it from beginning to end straight through. So, as that those bits of narration switch over to character voice and there's more and more distinction between the two of them, it got difficult for me. And then also measuring how much I would lean into the accent and things like that. Uh, there was one time I caught myself sounding French, which was really uncomfortable too. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's actually a fun one is we were talking about the, uh, the curse words. In French, uh, in yes. Quebecois French, and I posted on my Facebook to all the French folks I know. Hey, if you were in the twenty early twentieth century lumber uh, camp in Quebec, what swear words would you expect to hear? And apparently, blockhead was really offensive. I still don't understand that. The little bit that I was able to research on that after you told me that was that the French were a little bit shorter, and the Ontarians were taller. And when they would go into a pub or something, they were always hitting their head on the top of the door. So they called them blockheads. I don't know if that's truly the reason, but that's one of the things that I came across a couple different places. Yeah, I I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But I did have um, – uh, Kate and I were at a, an event, and there was uh, someone from Quebec there, and I had her say uh, tête carré for me over and over and over uh, yes. so I could say it properly. Uh, although oddly, I know how to say merde very well already. Um, I, I think I've yeah. heard that one a few times. So, yeah. See, and I heard it. I took French in high school, but it was Texas, and <laughs> we seriously, we seriously had a guy who played football who was like, "Mercy buckets." <laughs> That's the way and you it's say like, it, though. No, no, no. It's and he. I mean, hearing a bunch of Texans, kind of from the country. Yeah. Trying to speak French, it was quite a thing. Well, so. that's, yeah, we had actual people who lived in Quebec uh, their yeah. whole lives and taught French to us. Um, of course, I did not do well in French class or in school in general, but that's a different podcast altogether. Uh, I'm with you, too, and that might be why we're interested in these kind <laughs> of creative endeavors. But And you had talked earlier about how easy it was for you to – just read through, which amazed me because you do switch just on the fly. Whereas when I narrate something, a lot of times I stop and then I'll, if it's 
somebody who's angry or somebody who's going mad, I might just read those lines even totally separate and splice them in at the end, you know, but at the same time, the thing that I think was neat was you said that that kind of comes easy for you because of the journalistic background. Since I essentially had a deadline where I had to get it to you, I had no choice but to finish the story. And it was really a confidence booster. I think I needed with all the work stuff and some other things that have been going on. So I can only say a huge thank you for offering to do that because if it were just me, I don't know if I would have finished the story until maybe after Thanksgiving break in the States. Well, and you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because uh, I've, uh, and you were participating in the struggle with me as I was trying to write my Christmas special, which is the first time I've ever completed a fiction uh, work uh, in writing, which is kind of odd too, because it's, it's not actually uh, an original fiction. It's a based on a public domain story, but after doing this with you, being a part of your process, it gave me the confidence to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to do this this year. Um, and it's just write this Christmas story and have it, uh, you know, have different voices and all kinds of stuff going on. And in the past, I've always thought I'd love to do that and then never actually just did it. So it's, it's funny how it sort of comes together that way on both sides of it. Well, that's cool. And I was just going to ask if actually doing the narration for the hide behind made you want to do more fiction in the future. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of fun to do and it's, it's certainly different. Um, and that's, and again, reading news, reading the statements. So when I do my show, it's interview based. So I do my interview, which is, you know, anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes. And then afterwards I write out a little script, sort of intros and outros, which I then sort of half read and half kind of just play with as I go, uh, which again, for me, you know, after doing that for so many years and after just reading for so long, uh, and as writers, uh, you and I both read a lot, you know, going back to being in speech therapy as a kid because of uh, ear issues and learning to read out loud that way. And doing this, it was such a different experience that it was a lot of fun. And it was fun for saying, okay, how can I do this line? How should I sound when I do this? As opposed to technically what will be the easiest for someone to hear? Um, yeah. Or what is the, the fastest way to say this? It certainly, it, it opens up that creativity and sort of helps me play with my voice more. And also be, I've actually, this season on my show, been less stringent about sounding Canadian. And that's, although I, I the entire time I read for you, I was focusing on that. But it's, <laughs> it's you know, even with the narration, it was just sort of, okay, let it out. So let it out, so to speak. But I think it definitely, it, it because it was such a fun, positive experience, it makes me say, I want to do a little more. I want to try again. I want to see what else I can do. And that's also, I think opens up the reality of looking at people who do this professionally and how much time and effort goes into it also gives that kind of perspective. It's like, for, so for me, like this was written, I think in a sense, in your mind with my voice. Yes. So that's why for me, reading it was likely so easy uh, in a lot of ways. And I didn't have to think too much about how I would sound because you know how I sound and that's what you were expecting. Whereas if you're trying to do something like even just my little voice bits for, for my family Christmas thing, trying to come between the balance. And I had uh, my wife listen to this. I had a few other people listen 
and say, okay, this time try sounding more growly, but less enunciated. And this time try sounding like you're opening your mouth more, but you're still kind of mumbling. The, the difference in that pressure of sort of being told go with it and have fun and be fiction versus go with it, but let's try and hit it this way this time. It opens my eyes a lot to it, but it also, again, it's exciting and it's fun and it's something new and different. It's certainly worth uh, looking into more for me. Excellent. And that was, I think, again, your read through was great. There were, I think, two or three lines where it was kind of like people, I think, will hear what you said, but it was like, eh, maybe a little bit more clarity. Mm-hmm. And you turn those lines around so fast. And the funny thing, I, again, that was... I think the thing I liked most about it was it made me remember what it was like doing comics when I was younger, where I'd sit there and I'd chat with a friend who's an artist and we'd just start banging something out. I wrote the story that, I mean, I had little pieces. I had the intro and a couple ideas. I didn't know how it ended, but it was like, I have to write this story today, damn it, and get it to Michael this afternoon. And then you knocked it out. You gave me three read, you know, three lines that you reread, perfect, dropped it together, and that was it. It went that fast. And I know that at least a few people who are into audio dramas and stuff are listeners to Not About Lumberjacks. So if you need not even necessarily a Canadian accent, I, w- I can say with confidence that what Michael does is absolutely wonderful and it was just so much fun working together on this with you absolutely it was a lot of fun and i think the other thing that made it fun for both of us is that you did a horror story and the reason to me that's kind of fun is i i'm not a horror fan so to speak i don't read much horror um or watch horror movies outside of shark things because sharks are both terrifying and awesome yes um and there's tons of them in Lake Ontario. People just aren't waking up to the truth. But <laughs> Well, you know, the St. Lawrence River comes and feeds in. So, it does. You, know. Now, I, I, you know, I actually started working on some fiction about that. And I know all the species of sharks that can be both in freshwater and saltwater, <laughs> as well as historical evidence of said sharks moving their way through estuaries before. But uh, See, anyway. I... I was convinced they were in Lake Michigan, so I was even farther back. But as a kid, it was like, we used to go out sailing on Lake Michigan. It's like, no, I'm not dragging my hand in the water. There, there could be a shark. And everybody's like, there, there are no sharks. And it's like, there could be. Exactly. It's possible. And the possibility is all you need when you combine creativity and an anxiety disorder. So <laughs> Exactly, which we're both pretty good at mm-hmm. doing. Um, I can't remember what I was talking about now. There's something. We were just. Weird. Yeah, the whole horror thing. So it was also fun. Because uh, as someone, like most of the stuff I do, it's trying to be soft and kind frequently. Uh, it's about compassion. So to sort of say, okay, I want you to sound crazy and you're like, you're going to eat some people. Um, yeah. But it was kind of like, all right, let's, let's have some fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also kind of funny because neither of us eat meat, but mm-hmm. here we have a story that delves into cannibalism. Although I am holding on to the keep the high behind away by drinking theory. Um, and I'm keeping that card in my back pocket for whenever I may need it. Exactly. And that, that was, I mean, that was really all I had to go on was here's the picture of this thing. It can suddenly disappear behind even a 
a sapling and the only thing that keeps it away is alcohol. And I was just like, all right, well, there's something, there's got to be something good there. And it turned out to be wonderful. And it was funny because I hadn't written a horror story probably, I mean, more than a decade. I started out right. The first thing I ever sold was a horror-ish story to a comic book anthology but I can't remember the last time I've even written a horror story. I may have been in my early to mid twenties, maybe something that has some spooky elements, but straight up like this, it had been 25 years. So it was a blast actually writing a horror story and going, okay, I can still do this. And it turned out much better than I thought. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is a creepy story and that's, what's fun about it for me being a part of it sort of from that side rather than the waiting for a jump scare to come up on TV or something or in another show. And it was just, it was a fun experience despite the fact that it was a horrific motley story. Yes. So you had mentioned that you are doing sort of a little audio drama for mm -hmm. your show. So when will that be out? That's coming out on December 18th, and it's uh, a very exciting project for me. Uh, the last four years, I've always thought I need to do something special for Christmas because I'm a big Christmas dweeb. I love Christmas movies and stories and music, and I'd always ended up just doing some sort of silly interview in, in lieu of doing a full story. So I am finishing recording on Tuesday nights. Uh, I've actually, I've got a space with a bunch of people coming in to sing and make crowd sounds for me. I've got the narration on Tuesday. I recorded the last otherwise voice today. And then I'm pretty much, I'm going to spend three or four days assembling all of it, getting the sounds in place, getting the music in place. And then December 18th, it'll be online. And I'm hoping it'll be a lot of fun. And where can people find that? They can find it at thefurbears.com, iTunes, or anywhere else they listen to podcasts. Just search for Defender Radio. Excellent. Anything else you want to throw out there about this whole process and experience? I really hope that people know how much of yourself that you put into these stories and appreciate that. Because again, sort of having been a part of the process, it really became apparent to me. And it gives a much, even though I enjoyed reading your stories before your book and listening to your podcast, knowing how much of yourself and how much effort you put into it gives it that greater depth of appreciation and makes it more exciting knowing there's another story coming up soon for me. So I hope other people are also going to hear that and know that as they listen to Not About Lumberjacks. Well, and I think that's one of the things I liked most about working with you is I knew that you would take it serious and that even though it's a horror story that you would still be able to bring I think what makes the narration is you still kind of feel for the guy in so many mm. ways from being picked on and all that. And you sold that so well, again, for kind of the same thing. You put a lot of yourself into it. You're very compassionate. And it's just kind of like, hey, this is a guy just doing a job and these guys are giving him a hard time. And now he's starting to go insane because of. Yeah, I don't want to. Well, by this time, if you haven't listened to it, if you're listening to the behind the cut, you know, you, you know, by now. So, you know, it's like, it's an environmental thing that he gets mercury poisoning and he starts going mad and he, you know, you sold that and made it believable. I think because 
anybody else who was just like, ah, it's just another, you know, voice job. They, they may not have brought that side of it in. And I think that's what sells it as a work of audio fiction is here's a nice guy. You can hear the nice guy in your voice. And by the end of it, it's like, you know, when I listened to it with Cynthia and when you get to that last little bit from that journal entry, I mean, she just had this look like, holy crap, I never want to cross Michael. <laughs> and that's the first time anyone's ever said that. Yeah. So, And that's, that's it because yeah. we're big and cuddly and we have awesome beards mm-hmm. and we're humble about them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the most humble, though, to be honest. Yes. So. No, and I don't know what it would be or when it would be, but I am definitely open to having you narrate something again in the future. And I think because you did such a great job, anybody that I do choose to narrate something is going to definitely have something pretty hard to shoot for to pull off what you pulled off. Awesome. And as quickly and as quickly as you did it, because... That was just phenomenal. It was like, all right, well, I'm going to have this up early. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was a lot of fun to do, and that's one of the reasons. It's just exciting to do this. So, <laughs> Well, next next story that I write that you narrate, you want another Canadian? You want some other challenge? Throw it out we'll here. See. Yeah, well, uh, okay. maybe you can get me to do like a uh, uh, East German or something and just butcher it. a canadian spy playing an east german there you go okay that's you heard it here first and uh, (laughs) that that's something that'll probably just roll around in my head until it happens (laughs) oh great well i appreciate it greatly it was an absolute pleasure to work with you i'm glad i know you and you will probably hear more from michael on not about lumberjacks and if not Just go check out Defender Radio and you can hear him weekly. Going back to the Robin Sloan quote I mentioned earlier, the hide behind was built on friendship. And because of that, Michael and I cared about our roles enough to make it easier for each other. It came together so fast and during a very busy and stressful time for me. And that's what I love about friendship in fiction. No matter how hectic the world can get, As long as you remember the people you love, who love you in return, and you focus on making a thing or two that you love doing, life is always a walk in the woods. Without, of course, the cannibalism. Thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks and Behind the Cut. Theme music for Behind the Cut is a tune called Reaper by Hrazen. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the music, episodes, and voice talent. And listen to what Michael's doing over on Defender Radio. It's a great show, and I can't wait to hear what Michael does for his Christmas episode. And speaking about Christmas episodes, I'm not going to go as far as saying that all the stories that you're going to hear in a couple weeks are Christmas stories, but the last one sure as hell is. The other stories, and yes, you heard that right, it's going to be several stories. Think of it as literary stocking stuffers, little bits of microfiction for the holidays. So until then, be mighty and keep your axes sharp. <laughs>